Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to today's episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and we have a pretty cool episode for you today. In a moment, I'm going to send it out to Chicago where my co-host, Chris Knutson will dive into the Willis Tower for our Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment. Then for our Civil Engineering Conversation segment, Chris and I are going to provide you with some strategies and some tips for effective business development. We actually picked up a bunch of these strategies at the Engineering Career Success Summit, which is an event that we held a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C., so we're going to kind of share some of that information with you here in this episode. And then lastly, Chris is going to give today's Civil Engineering Career Elevator advice, where basically we try to focus, if you had 30 seconds to a minute to give a civil engineer some key career advice, what would it be? And Chris is going to focus on maximizing your involvement in professional associations. We appreciate all the support on the podcast. It is new. We're at episode number four. So all of your tweets and your emails and all the support's been excellent. If you go to civilengineeringpodcast.com, you can leave a review. You can get to our iTunes page and leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. That's really going to help other civil engineers find the show. So again, thanks for all your support. And the show notes for this episode will be at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just look for episode number four. In the show notes, typically we put a summary of some of the key points we discussed, any other links for resources, websites, or other books that we might mention during the episode. So again, that'll be civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number four. All right, now I'm going to send it over to Chris in Chicago where he's going to dive into the Willis Tower for the Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, hey everyone, this is uh, Chris Knutson, and it's time for the Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment of the show where we discuss an interesting civil engineering project, either past, present, or to be in the future. And uh, if you're interested, you can submit your projects at civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects. That's civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects. So um, I'm actually coming to you from a cafe up in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I had a good, good the opportunity to come up here and uh, visit some family, and I uh, took a little trip over to the Willis Tower. Um, I'm working to get lined up the uh, the chief engineer for the Willis Tower, so we're going to look to see if we can try to get that individual on a future uh, episode. But for today's episode, I want to share with you a little bit about the actual the Willis Tower, which uh, for me, um, growing up, was the Sears Tower, but that obviously changed name names here a little over a decade ago but the uh, Willis Tower uh, built as and still commonly referred to as the Sears Tower is this 108 story awesome looking 442 meter skyscraper in Chicago, Illinois which is where I'm at. Um, So at the time of the completion in 1973 the uh, Willis Tower beat up the World Trade Center in New York as the tallest building in the world a distinction held for 25 years and today it stands as the second tallest building in the U.S tallest in the Western Hemisphere, and the 12th tallest in the world. 
Uh, the building contains over 4.5 million gross square feet, which would cover 16 square blocks or almost 105 acres if it was spread across one level, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, the stats of the building are, as you would expect for a skyscraper, pretty impressive. More than 225,000 tons of steel, 25 miles of plumbing, 1,500 miles of electrical wiring. It just goes on and on. Just absolutely amazing. But none of that makes the Willis Tower unique. What makes it unique is what you would expect a, a civil engineer to be impressed with is the actual the construction method. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But at the time of construction, it was $175 million, uh, which is about the equivalent of about $800 million or so in, in uh, 2015 dollars. And I thought this was an interesting, uh, in March of this year, the building changed hands again at a, a present-day cost of almost $1.3 billion. Um, and that was considered to be the highest amount paid for a building outside of Manhattan. So that's pretty impressive. So construction started in 1970, was completed in 73, and it took around 2,000 workers uh, to, to put that, that, that structure up. And it took full advantage of a variation of the framed tube design which was pioneered by structural engineer Fazler Rahman Khan, and who was named, uh, and it was named the bundled tube system. Uh, that system was the most efficient in terms of economics, but it also allowed for greater variation in architectural space and eliminated the necessity to make towers box-like in form. So the building, if you've seen pictures of it, and there's going to be some posted in the show notes uh, for this for this episode, but. Uh, the building plan consisted of nine squares, each about 75 feet across, placed in a three-by-three three grid arrangement. And then each square has five columns per side, spaced at 15 foot on center, with adjacent squares sharing columns. So as the columns rise up the building, each square in, uh, in, the, in the plan forms a tube, which can be seen in the exterior of the building. So you'll, you'll notice that, that interesting uh, exterior shape of, of the Willis Tower. And so these tubes are independently strong but, but are further strengthened by the interactions between each other through these truss connections. And while the tubes connect at each floor level with beams and floor trusses, several large truss levels act as, uh, as the main horizontal connectors in the buildings. So these truss levels, which also contain the mechanical systems, if you look at an exterior shot of the building, they'll appear as black horizontal bands on the facade. Um, so, you know, the, uh, some of the special design features or challenges with this building, since 1963, it was a new structural system, like I, like I mentioned, it was called this frame tube, um, and it was highly influential in skyscraper design and construction. So Kahn defined the frame tube structure as a three-dimensional space structure composed of three, four, possibly even more frames, uh, braced frames or shear walls, and they were joined at or near their edges to form these vertical tube-like structural systems that were capable of resisting lateral forces by cantilevering from the uh, foundation. And, and we, we really saw um, the most widely known application of this in the uh, construction of the, uh, of, the, of the World Trade Center in uh, New York. So Kahn pioneered several other variations of the tube structure design. One of these was the bundled tube concept, uh, bundled tube concept, which was what was used in the Sears or the, the Willis Tower uh, in, in this building, and the design employed nine tubes of these varying heights to achieve the skyscraper's distinct appearance. So the bundled tube design was not only highly efficient, um, as I already mentioned, um, but the, you know, we no longer had like these big box legs. For, uh, so for the Willis Tower, each of the tubes rise to about the 50th floor, and then at the 50th floor, um, the northwest and southeast tubes end, and the remaining seven continue up. At the 66th floor, the northeast and southwest tubes end, and it goes on up to the 90th floor, 
where the uh, north, east, and south tubes end, and then the remaining west and center tubes go up to the 108th floor. Um, so some of the benefits from to society from this, well, as far as benefits, you know, the building was conceived in the late 60s to provide office space for the staff of Sears, hence the name it held for nearly three decades. And Sears at the time needed almost 280,000 square meters of space for its employees, as it was at the time the largest retailer in the world with almost 350,000 employees. So it served the purpose of consolidating all of the company's headquarters functions into one location. And today it houses many companies and is home to the Sky Deck at the 103rd floor, which I had an opportunity to go visit. And I've got a, a few uh, few photos that I'll share uh, in the show notes for this. But they, there's some these little ledges you can go walk out on and you can actually look down and, and look down 1,353 feet below you. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so that, that concludes the Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment of today's episode. If you're currently working on or have worked on any interesting or challenging civil engineering projects, we'd love to feature that on, on the show. So you can submit your projects again at civilengineeringpodcast.com forward slash projects. Anthony and I will be looking out for those, and we'd love to be able to feature your project on the show. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast talking to civil engineering CEOs, executives, and I typically try to ask them what are some of the characteristics that they look for in a civil engineer, and they always say the ability to bring in work. If you really want to go to the next level, you're going to need to look at doing more than just sitting at the design desk, sitting in front of the computer, doing the design work. Business development isn't a one-time, hurry up, here's the sale, boom, it's done, let's move on to the next job. This is a long-time relationship. All right, so I'm excited about this episode's civil engineering conversation because it's going to be Chris and I, and we're going to be chatting about business development. And if you're a more experienced civil engineer, you probably really understand the value of business development. If you're a younger civil engineer, you might not understand the value yet. But basically, business development is when you can develop business or being bring business into your firm, whether you work for a company or you own your own company, you're bringing in business, you're growing the company essentially. So, you know, I've had the opportunity over the last, how many years I've been coaching now and, and in just as a civil engineer as well, talking to civil engineering CEOs, executives, and I typically try to ask them, what are some of the characteristics that they look for in a civil engineer? And they always say the ability to bring in work. And obviously, because that's just the bottom line. That's the bottom line of the company is the dollars. So if you can do design work, but then also communicate and bring in business, then it's going to greatly increase your value as as a civil engineer overall. So recently, Chris and I held the Engineering Career Success Summit, which is an annual event we'll be putting on every year to try to help engineers succeed personally and professionally, and what we focused on in this event was having panels with some experienced professionals, and one of the panels that Chris led was on business development, and it featured a bunch of business development experts as well as engineers that do business development, and they just focused on you know digging into the details of it. I'm going to just real quick, just to give credit, and we'll put this in the show notes, I'm just going to quickly rattle off the names of the panelists and then I'm going to let Chris jump right in here and go through some of the, some of the, just the amount of information was phenomenal. I'm going to let him dig into it. So the panelists were Ari Tinkoff, Sylvia Montgomery, Shanna Carroll, Casey Reed, Mark Osler, and John Woods. 
And with that, Chris, why don't you jump in here? I know it was an action-packed session, so give us some BD, uh, some of the BD, the goodness that you got on that panel. Yeah, it was uh, Anthony. It was it was BD amazingness. I mean, I uh, <laughs> as a you know, I've, I've facilitated a number of different events before, and this one was just by and by and far the the best one that I think that I've I've had the opportunity to facilitate with, and it was really because of the people that were on the panel. Um, so we, you know. We were in there only for about an hour, and I would say that probably about you know every two minutes we were getting another knowledge bomb. I mean, just this 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 information was absolutely amazing. So what I want to do is maybe just kind of touch on some of the wave tops of of the goodness that they provided. And what I'll do is I'm actually going to just kind of say, hey, here's because I, what I what I did is I asked a question. And then we get these. We get each of the panel members to provide their input. So I'll, I'll just kind of throw out what the question was, and then cover some of the inputs that I got back from. But I want to wrap things up for for everyone out there that's listening with with three overall key takeaways. Um, that was a piece of information that was that was you know that resonated throughout the entire hour long session. Um, so let's just go here. So the you know the first one that went up was you know I asked the question, hey, what's effective business development? You know, and as Anthony said, if you're if you're beginning out in your career, you know your focus is really going to be on the technical side of side of engineering. But as we get further into our careers, there if you you know there's this expectation that if you really want to go to the next level. You're going to need to look at doing more than just sitting at the design desk, sitting in front of the computer, doing the design work. You're going to need to actually get out there and interact with, with, uh, you know, with, with clients. You're going to need to actually go out there and interact with the community and go out there and really try to develop business. So I said, you know, I asked this question, hey, what's effective business development? And, and a lot of the responses that came back from, from these members, and we had people who were at uh, senior level management all the way up through firm ownership. I mean, there was a gentleman that was there, John Woods, who's owned, who's been an owner in a firm for, for nearly 40 years. So these were, these were experts, people who know the business inside and out. And, and the number one thing that, that almost every one of them said that, that really resonated on this effective business development was that relationships whether with private or public sector entities, is what drives all business development. And it's not only those relationships just of, hey, I know this person, but relationships that are developed on this foundation of integrity and trustworthiness and, and really of you being you. And I, and I thought that was a really pretty awesome statement to hear come from everyone who, who was on that panel that, you know, really, at the end of the day, this all comes down to relationships, and and each of us being able to develop these relationships with other people. Because at the end of the day, if you're gonna if you're gonna actually land a request for proposal, you're gonna actually land a job. It's gonna be because the other people, the clients or the customers or whatever you want, you want to call them, they like you, they like your firm, and they like the people that are involved. And they just they simply just want to do work with you. And I thought that was just an absolutely awesome thing to hear from them because at the end of the day, each of us should like being who we are. And if that's the case and we're comfortable with ourselves, then, then we have this ability to be able to be effective in business development. That's awesome. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's a huge component of it. I know. And I think, 
I think that's something that people don't get. When they say business development, they immediately think about, you know, making a sale and selling the company, which, yes, that's part of it. But if you get to know somebody and you build those relationships, then you're not, you don't have to sell as much because, you know, people want to do business with people that they trust and people that they like. Um, I mean, listen, a lot, there's a lot of good civil engineers out there. There's a lot of great civil engineers out there. So, you know, you might be a great civil engineer, but you might be the great civil engineer that this project manager or this other, this client really likes and has really gotten to know. And then therefore they're going to be giving you the call. So I think it's a big, I think the relationship aspect is huge. And, um, you know, I could, I wasn't in that panel cause I was leading another discussion, but in going over Chris's notes and listening to the audio, um, that word just came up the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Anthony, one of the other things that I thought was really interesting, and I think I, maybe I knew this on a fundamental level, but to hear it, um, hear it stated um, by, by at least, I'd say, half of the panel members, it really drove it home for me. And, that's, that's, and that is that the business development isn't a, it's not a quick, um, it's not a sales. And, and maybe I'm the only, maybe I'm the only one, but maybe I'm not. You know, when I first started hearing the term, you know, the term business development, immediately I kind of thought sales. And when I thought sales, the first image that popped into my mind was like a used car salesman. <laughs> and, you know, and that just made me feel totally uncomfortable because that's, that's a place that, that I just don't want to go. And, and there's such a, you know, there's such this stigma that kind of like hangs on, you know, the used car salesman. And what I found out from, you know, from listening to the panel and just from some of my own reading is that, you know, really when we get into business development, especially in the, I'll call it the architectural engineering construction um, industry, and, and so really where us as, you know, all of us as civil engineers are, are operating, this isn't, you know, this isn't used car salesmanship. We're not trying to sell a product or a service in, in a one-time Here's, here's the sale, let's close it, boom, you know, signature on the bottom line, we're going to move on. This is, these are activities that take years. And one of the panel members really hit on that, you know, in, in, this, in, in the AE industry, you're really talking that if, you're, if, you're, if you have a specific client that you're trying to go after, you're talking like three to five years to develop that client into a, into a paying client, one that's going to award you actually work. And that over that three to five year period, you're talking lots of what what they call air quotes touch points. So these are like really interactions, and and they he it was actually Ari uh, Takeoff who mentioned that you know it's, we're talking at least a minimum of three to five touch points because the the client customer really has to even remember who you are before your firm or even you is going to make any kind of a difference. In their mind, they're just not going to remember you because there's you know, because there's so many other competitors that are out there. So, you know, kind of the takeaway in this is that you know business development isn't a one-time hurry up. Here's the sale, boom, it's done. Let's move on to the next job. This is a long-time relationship. It's a it's a it's going to take years to develop clients. And once you develop that client and you and you put that energy into it, you want to you want to retain that client. You want you want them to de- go into this relationship with your firm and with you in such a in such a way that you become like this trusted agent that they come back to over and over again, and that that ultimately brings value to not only to them and what they're trying to accomplish strategically, but it also brings value to your firm as well. So I thought that was mm. just 
golden, absolutely golden. That's awesome. And then, you know, naturally, I think for any of us, when we hear business development, it almost immediately defaults to networking. Hopefully I'm not the only one. <laughs> Maybe I am. Um, but, you know, it's when, whenever, you know, almost, almost immediately after I heard for the first time business development and thought used car salesman, I thought networking. And then I all of a sudden started getting really kind of nervous about that because, um, like most engineers, I'm not, I don't consider myself and I'm not particularly the most, the most extroverted, outgoing uh, individual. I just can't walk up to a, to a huge crowd and just engage into, uh, you know, into, into small talk and discussions. Well, let me rephrase that. I never used to be able to do that. Um, I, I learned early on that, that that was a skill just like any other skill, any of the technical skills that I developed that I, that I needed to be able to cultivate. And so I've become more comfortable at it, and, I, and I'm able to think about it before I, before I uh, actually go into one of those networking events and, and get myself in the right mindset. And that's what a lot of the panel members even said, was that there wasn't an individual on the panel who just threw out that, hey, you know, I really enjoyed networking. I think it's great, and it's like that's really wanna, where I want to be you know, 100% of the time. Almost every one of them said, hey, you know what, I started off not comfortable walking into a room full of people and trying to, you know, trying to engage them in, in small talk that they just felt uncomfortable while doing that. And so some of the strategies that they threw out were, and I think these are just absolutely golden, Anthony, they threw out that first, the first one I think is a huge mindset change is that View your view networking and communications and conferences and things like that like a technical skill. Uh, kind of look at it like any any technical skill that you're personally trying to develop in your civil engineering work. Take that same mindset and apply it to your work in networking. It's the exact same thing. It's a, it's a technical skill, really. Quite frankly, if you want to bump your bump your career and your ability to bring value to your firm up to the next level. So just completely view that as a technical skill. And quite frankly, I, I would say that you know being able to develop your technical skill to, let's say, do better stormwater runoff calculations for land development, sure, that, that's really important. But if you have the technical skill to be able to engage with other people who are actually in development, who are the one, land development, who are the ones that are making decisions about awarding projects and submitting feasibility studies out for proposal, if you have the ability to be able to engage them in conversation and develop relationships with them, you're going to actually bring more value to your firm than, than if you are the best person at developing and running you know, stormwater runoff calculations. So something, something to consider. Hmm. So, so they said that, hey, you know, think about Think about small talk or this networking as a technical skill. I think that was that was one really huge, huge, uh, huge takeaway. Another one that was kind of associated with was a lot of the people said that they would look around the room and they'd find people who were who they thought were really good at doing networking and, and having you know discussions with people, and they tried to model them, or you know, they'd observe how they acted and they and they would try to act like them. And I thought that was really interesting because I think, you know, you and I have read, Anthony, you and I have read before, you know, that whole concept of act as if, you know, even though you're not able to do it, you just, you, you have the mindset that, yeah, you know, I'm, I have this confidence, I can do this, I'm going to do it, 
that's how I operate. Right. You know, so I thought that was a very interesting, um, a very interesting input. And another one, which which I actually I tried this uh, the other day, and and even though I'm 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 okay, you know, I, I think I'm I'm okay at being able to network. I, I actually felt uncomfortable <laughs> when I did this, and that was uh, using the mirror uh, to practice body language and eye contact. So I think, you know, I, I personally think that I'm pretty good at being able to maintain eye contact with people. And I talk a lot with my hands. In fact, I'm sitting here as I'm talking, you know, as we're recording this episode, I'm using my hands as I talk. Um, but, but one of the members said, hey, you know, stand in front of the mirror and practice doing small talk. You know, look yourself in the eye. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I don't, if you, I don't know if you've ever tried it or not. but uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've a, tried it. A, they, they tell you the same thing in Toastmasters sometimes when you're trying to practice your speaking. I think it's probably more effective for what you're speaking about, more of the conversational um, atmosphere. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it's hard to simulate standing up in front of a room of a couple hundred people. But you know, you can get a better handle on prepping for a conversation with a couple of people by um, you know looking in the mirror, focusing, thinking about it. Like you said, Chris, you were you were not good at it, you were uncomfortable with it, but now you're better at it, and you think about it beforehand. Like anything else, like preparation. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. I just I get myself kind of psyched up to go do it. Um, and then just two more things I wanted to share that I thought were were absolutely huge. And, you know, so obviously, you know, practicing your body language and eye contact in front of the mirror, I thought was pretty awesome. But but this is you know I almost probably should have started off with this one because if you're going to write anything down as what's the you know what was the most important thing that I just heard Chris talking about on being like the best communicator and networker and networking and that is remember it's about them and not about you. Yeah. I'm just gonna kinda I'm like gonna underline good. that, man. It's about it's about them, not yeah. about you. And you know, I think it's if we really all stop and take a moment and kind of think about how we have our conversations with people, especially in networking events, it's really easy to get on this tangent of you know wanting to immediately jump to you or your firm instead of focusing on the other person that you're speaking with and, and what their needs are and who they represent. Because um, really at the end of the day, and this is something that I've personally found, everybody likes to talk about themselves. And so if, if you find it difficult to generate small talk about, you know, about the, you know, the current events or, you know, what happened during, you know, during that day in the conference or, hey, you know, what do you think about this, about this, you know, this municipal decision on, you know, on land development, if you find it difficult to, to have that kind of small talk, you know, bring the small talk back to, hey, you know, what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? What about, you know, tell me about your family. I mean, it's, especially if you know that the other person has a family, you know, I love to talk about my kids and I don't really really sure, you know, I'm not too certain of anybody who doesn't like to talk about their kids. I mean, that's, that's an easy way to open up a conversation with somebody is to always kind of remember that it's about them and not about you. And then the last one was, and this, you know, this this is one of those ones where, you know, I thought, hmm, common sense, but I think it's probably just good sense. And that is, I always have plenty of business cards on you, so that you're never in this you're never in this situation where you're having this you're in a networking event, and all of a sudden, boom, you're out of you're out of business cards, uh, because at that point, yeah, you know, that business cards for some people are the way that they maintain 
um, visibility and an understanding of who you were because a lot of people have the you know kind of have the habit of being able to write on the back of the of the business card and write some notes about who who you are where they met you maybe what your conversation was about and so if you run out of business cards you lose that ability to be able to have that have that discussion with them um, and then the other one was was and this is this goes for both the gents and for the ladies think about how you are going to how you're in, how you're going to physically handle the interchange of business cards and handshakes, and so one of the ladies that was on the uh, on the panel, uh, Sylvia Montgomery, even mentioned that she has like she has she said her husband kind of laughs at her because she has like this like two or three outfits that are that are known as her networking outfits, and that's because she normally doesn't wear jackets that have pockets on them. But whenever she's going to go networking, she she specifically wears these these outfits that have pockets because then she's able to put like her business cards in one side and then business cards she collects in the other side. And I thought that was I thought that was a great idea. Um, it's something it's it's really a tip that I use whenever I go into a networking event. I'm always wearing a sports coat, even if it's business casual. I'll go I'll go you know open collar, maybe a polo shirt. But the reason I wear that sports coat is because I have those pockets, not only on the inside of the jacket, left and right, but then I always make sure to use a seam ripper and open up my pockets on the side so that I've got the ability to be able to, to slip business cards you know, into my right side is where I take incoming business cards, and then on the left side is where I have my outgoing business cards, my personal ones. So, You, know, you got that like down, dude. Jeez. I, I do, man. It's a, it's a tactic. But but I only do that because I got burned, and, and it's 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 embarrassing when you're when you're exchanging business cards with somebody, and you reach in and you grab, like you know, like I grab Anthony, I grab your business card that you just gave me like five minutes ago, and I hand your business card to the person that I'm talking yeah, with. I mean, that's, I've done that that's too. Yeah, <laughs> that's embarrassing. So the best way to do that is just you know to kind of play traffic cop on your business cards, and make sure that you've got one pocket, one side of your body is is outgoing, the other side of your body is incoming, and that, that'll solve that problem. The other one, which I think is really huge, and this is this is purely tactical at this level, but it was uh, Ari, Ari who threw this one out, and that was always make sure you have a hand free. Don't ever go into one of these networking events and have like a drink in one hand and a plate of food in the other one. Yeah. Always, you know, always make sure you've got like one of your hands that are free that you can shake a hand and you can do that business card exchange. So if you know if you're hungry, make sure you make sure you chow down before you actually show up to the networking event. Or if you're thirsty, you know, make sure you know just just do whatever you got to do to make sure that you have at least one of your hands free, um, so that you're open and inviting. Because as soon as you have both of your hands free, it's it's just this natural human interchange to want to be able to like reach out and shake the other person's hand. And if you got like a drink in your left hand and a plate of food in your right hand. Well, you know that's it's not going to happen, and if you're trying to juggle it around, it just it becomes awkward. So, you know that, that's very tactical level networking tips, but absolutely, I think vitally important, and it's something that can that can help every one of us as we try to uh, try to develop our civil engineering career. Yeah, that's awesome. And just to kind of wrap wrap it up here before Chris gives us kind of the, the end of the show uh, career advice. The one thing that Chris said that, I mean, all the stuff is awesome. Um, 
but the one thing that jumps out for me, and I'll give you an example of it real quick, is it's about them, not you. That's the biggest thing. And I think that applies to pretty much everything, um, whether you're trying to build business, bringing business to your firm, whether you're trying to get a job from an employer, um, whether you're trying to get your kids to clean their room, right? Whenever you're trying to convince or persuade somebody, it's got to be about them and not about you. And the funny thing about this is, you know, Chris and I ran the event, we facilitated the sessions, we, we record these podcasts, but, but, you know, but we're honestly learning on everyone. I mean, all this stuff that we're hearing that we're explaining to you, we're basically using it ourselves as we, you know, grow the engineering career coach and do this stuff. So we were just looking at this on our website the other day. We have this new banner we put up there and it's got our, our headshots on it. And we're like, dude, it's like, it's about them. It's not about us. And we just changed it and we replaced it, but it's just like simple thing. But you know, you got to go to these sessions. You got to learn from these people because it doesn't matter how, how long you've been doing this stuff. You got to learn it and then you got to apply it. And so, you know, luckily for us, we took that away from that session and we made some change. We made a pretty big change. I mean, when you go to the website, it's everything you see on every page. So, um, yeah, that's, that's huge, man. That so, was a, that was a, that was huge. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, uh, I mean, the the point of the story is that I want, uh, we both want you to think about when you listen to these podcasts, or if you came to the summit, we want you to take the information, we want you to use it and apply it, however you can in your career to get results. Because at the end of the day, it's about results. I mean, business development's about results too. I mean, it's relationships, but at the end of the day, it's also going to result in business if it's done effectively. So one last thing I'll say to wrap it up is we usually try to throw out a couple of resources or a couple a couple of books. I know one book that we probably mention on just about every episode is Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, that's going to be a huge one to do a lot of the stuff that Chris talked about with relationship building. Um, I have that on audio and I just kind of listen to it on a continuous loop um, whenever I can. Um, also... Another book that's pretty good is Go Givers Sell More by Bob Berg, B-U-R-G. Bob Berg's got a lot of interesting books on uh, networking. And I'm going to I'm gonna kick it over to Chris here. He's got a couple of, of resources too. Chris? Yeah, you know, one, one that I just came across here recently, and I think if, uh, if you are serious about doing business development in your civil engineering work, and getting yourself uh, kind of prepped up for that, or if you're already involved with business development in your in your civil engineering work, it's a little pricey, but I think it's worth it's worth every dollar. And that is it's by it's by Jim Rogers, and it's called Win More Work: How to Write Winning AEC Proposals. And uh, it's you can only get it via Kindle. It's not in a hard copy format. Um, and like I said, it's a little it's a little pricey, but but it is worth every penny if you are involved in business development in any way, shape, or form. So definitely one that, that you may want to check out. And, you know, Anthony, I agree with you entirely. The, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie's uh, classic is is one that's uh, that's definitely worth having in your in your library if, if you're at all interested in taking yourself to that next level. Yeah, and we're going to try to get Jim Rogers on the show for sure. Um, to talk about his book, Win More Work. So we'll focus on that. But for now, we'll put these all these resources in the show notes, which will be at civilengineeringpodcast.com. And again, this is episode number four. So with that, 
I'm going to kick it back to Chris. He's going to just close out the show with the civil engineering career advice portion and talk a little bit about maximizing professional associations in your career. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. Um, so now it's time to close out today's episode with our civil engineering career building tip. So here's one of the best decisions I made in my civil engineering career that has paid dividends over the years in terms of opportunities, relationships, and leadership. Being active in professional organizations. In my case, it was the Society of American Military Engineers. However, it could be any of the professional or technical organizations that are available to every one of us. And here are three reasons why it was one of the best decisions in my career. First, it got me connected at a young age with senior engineers and leaders. This opened up opportunities for me in two situations for career advancements that further boosted my my core skills of communications, network building, and and really of of leadership. Second, it gave me leadership opportunities. Even when I wasn't leading leading, other people or or teams in my my day job, I was leading people in the professional organization. And those leadership lessons that I learned and the leadership training that I picked up while I was doing this were absolutely super beneficial to me uh, especially in developing the skills for influencing and again communications and supporting I find it really really a, a challenge and an opportunity to learn leadership in a volunteer organization because everyone is there because they want to be there they're not getting paid so as a leader you really have to develop these skills at influencing and setting vision to get people behind you and motivated that wanted to want to you know to do more and third, it exposed me to other professionals whom I might never have met any other way. By being active in the organization, I was able to interact with other professionals whom I never would have met. And I was able to work with them on projects and develop relationships that provided a common bond that would never have formed through our day-to-day activities. And many of these people I'm still in touch with today. Note that the key here is you've got to be active in the organization. That means serving as an officer or a board member or volunteering to support events, seminars, whatever. You'll just get back, I don't know, five, tenfold return on your investment if you serve the organization and the membership rather than just showing up for the monthly luncheon. So, all right, that's your civil engineering career building tip for this episode. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode. Um, They're going to be available for you. And uh, you can also find the photos from my visit to the Willis Tower on the show notes as well. And also, please remember that you can visit engineeringcareercoach.com and get a free three-part video series it's going to cover topics including how to use linkedin effectively how to communicate clearly and how to become a powerful leader as an engineer and again those videos are are custom to your experience level they're available for free just go check them out engineeringcareercoach.com anthony and i would love to see you there and if you got questions for us launch them at us you'll see the link there over on the left hand side of the of the page just click on that fire us questions we'd love to have them and until next week i wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors thank you for listening to the civil engineering podcast be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show we also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize linkedin for networking improve your communication and speaking skills and also help to develop your leadership abilities now is the time to engineer your own success.